not whatever the equivalent of an A would be. And it was only midterm, so he still had time to fix it. <laughs> this shit isn't even... Sorry, I don't know if we can cuss on your... We can do whatever we want. It's the first episode. Hey, Dad! Hello and welcome into the first episode of the Hey Dad podcast. I am Caleb Henry. You can find me on Twitter at iCalebHenry. Go ahead and give me a follow there because I love sharing photos, talking about my daughter, talking about my family. It's one of the most fun things that I have, and I love being a dad. That's why we started this podcast. Um, the, the, the big we, me, I started this podcast. I love talking about being a dad, and I love talking with other dads. So if you do enjoy this episode, go ahead and make sure you share it. You uh, get it out there on Twitter for other people to find. Give us a follow and subscribe so that other people might enjoy it as well. So without any further ado, we're going to jump right into this. I don't need to give a big long intro because I'm excited for the first guest of the podcast. You may have seen him on social media at Doc Talk Sports. He is a former Husker. Maybe you just needed a really good nap in the middle of the day. He may have helped you out with that as well. It is Dr. Rob Zadiscut. Hey, Dad, to our first guest. Dr. Rob, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? You know, I appreciate this. I, I'm the first ever. Yeah, you're, you're the, uh, the the first dad. The, Groundbreaker. The, the, yeah, number one dad that we have on the pod. And you are a dad yourself. I, I've been following you, and hey, it looks like you got a couple of great kids. You've done all right. We've done okay. So yeah, so I've got, we've got three kids. I got an older daughter, Brennan, who is a, just finished her junior year. I got to be careful saying this in Husker country, but just finished (laughs) her junior year at Florida state. Yeah. Yeah. She's on the rowing (laughs) team down there and she kind of had this goal in life that she wanted to go to college someplace where there was not snow on the ground in the winter. <laughs> As I age, my, my, my mindset kind of falls more in line with her thinking in that regard. So. It's so funny that that's her thinking because my, my youngest sister, and we grew up in central Nebraska, she had the opposite. She's out, just finished up, just graduated um, from Wyoming, and now she has a full-time job in Laramie, and she's not leaving. You know, everybody likes something different. I've we've got a son. Our son is a uh, uh, just graduated from high school. He he does he likes the warmer weather as well. Mm-hmm. But his mindset is he, he kind of likes the whole arid desert kind of thing. I mean, so the whole Colorado, Idaho, Utah, New Mexico, Arizona uh-huh. that that that's that's kind of something more of his mindset now. He's actually going to go to school at Augustana up in South Dakota, and so he's he's going to get inundated with it's a little <laughs> more arid up there than it is here, but it's definitely not any warmer. Right, so right, for sure. I, I think at some point he's going to probably get his butt back down south again as well, too. We've got another daughter who is uh, just finished her freshman year in high school, and she's a lot more like-minded like her sister. She... Uh, she wants to be somewhere kind of straight south to the southeast in the U.S. And she likes that warmer weather. She likes a little bit of humidity. She not 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 a fan of the cold. At all. <laughs> is there with, with your daughters? Is there a reason for that? Did you guys vacation down to the south and they got the experience down there, or is it just hundred percent? That's yeah. exactly it. We we're we're. 
so everybody kind of does something differently. There's skiing families, there's beach families, there's hiking, rock climbing families. You'll kind of, as you move through this, you'll kind of over time sort of gravitate <laughs> towards a, a type of vacation. Our kids were beach people. They, they wanted, they wanted to be near water. They wanted someplace warm. And so, uh, there's a great spot we go to with my wife's side of the family down off the Gulf Coast of Florida up in the Panhandle. And the most convenient place to fly into to get there is Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing this for, geez, probably pushing 20 years now. I mean, we're up to, I think, 16 people. <laughs> and it's it's, it's kind of an, an increasingly extended family here. Right. So, um, and it's great. It's a blast. Cause it's everybody. It, it's a great group of people on the whole. Everybody gets along. Um, but every, we all pile into a house. My, my f- mother-in-law and father-in-law were the ones who re- kind of started this. My father-in-law passed away. My mother-in-law kept it going, kind of bring, brings the, brings the herd together mm-hmm. once a year for, for a week in the summer. But anyway, most convenient place to fly into is Tallahassee. And so my kids grew up, A, in the south, which if you know Florida, <laughs> once you're north of Orlando, that is not Florida. Right. That's the south. I mean, it's basically <laughs> it, that, that's southern Georgia is, is, yes. is more or less where you're at. And so my kids have grown up kind of essentially flying into Tallahassee and driving through, passing around the Florida State campus. And you kind of get inundated with that whole southern culture. I mean, the... If you've ever been on Florida State's campus, it's it's a beautiful. I mean, it's kind of the kind of the live oaks with Spanish moss hanging from them as they overhang uh, brick paths through the campus, and I mean, it's just it's gorgeous. I mean, it's Rob. It's we're almost, we're trying to get people to keep listening to this. We're only a couple minutes in, and you have just. Oh, uh, it is. Every, I'm already waxing about that. <laughs> every Husker uh, fan just said, the Faulknerish." <laughs> How can you be doing this? State campus here, so. <laughs> no, that that's awesome. So we're like we're trying to figure out what kind of family we are. Um, we're getting my my fiance and I will be getting married this uh, towards the end of July at Platte River State Park. Super excited about it. We've gone on a couple of um, little weekend vacations there, and we've we've taken our daughter up there. She'll she's twenty months. And she just likes to run. Okay, so she's pushing a couple years here. Yeah, she's getting there. She is, I think the kind of family we are is we're going to have to be the the family that leashes our kid. Because she she does not care, and she will just run. Uh, It doesn't matter if we're at the mall, if we are at a grocery store, if we are in the middle of a state park. If she decides she wants to go, she's gone. And she'll just take off. And there's no stopping her. You know what? if I could give you any advice uh, <laughs> to that extent, that's a good thing. I mean, you you want a kid who's got a little independent streak, who wants to get out there and see the world. And it's, you know what, as much as parents, I mean, you're, you're always a little bit leery because you're worried about all the bad things that can happen in this world. And it's, you know, truth of the matter is, is 99.999% of the time, it's a great, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an outstanding world we live in. Mm-hmm. And 
having having a kid who wants to get out there and experience it that's that's awesome i'll also say this sports will be your friend <laughs> um the other piece of advice that i'll put in in and along with the whole sports thing is that as parents you you, you start your kids off in sports and activities and the hope is, is that you're going to wear them out. Yep. <laughs> the reality is, is you're just getting them in better shape. <laughs> so, so they can keep going even more. So I feel take like, that for what it's worth. I feel like we're already doing that because we just earlier today, for example, we go down to the playground and there are, I don't know how to exactly describe these, but it's not necessarily the ladder. It's kind of like angled at an arc. Um, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking so, so about. So it, it is definitely a little bit safer. Um, it, it's it's definitely much easier for someone who is little and doesn't quite have the muscles to pull themselves up. Well, times before, we had really helped her with each step. And she saw them today, and she ran over to them. And we kind of helped her balance the first couple of times. And then she got down from a slide, and we weren't over by there. And she took off running. We're like, oh, no, we know exactly where she's going, and we're not there to make sure if she does fall. And as soon as we got there, she pulled herself up the first two rungs, and she hadn't done that by herself yet. So we went, okay, well, let's just make sure our hands are close. And she did the whole thing by herself, and I was about to lose my mind. It is a, <laughs> like, it's, it's such a, a minor thing when I see ever, everyone talk about, especially because a lot of the folks that I know that I ha that have kids, they're they're doing some stuff. They're just graduating high school or – um, they're going through and being part of the girls wrestling. Uh, well, I want to talk about that with you in a minute, but the, seeing her do that, I was like, I could not be a prouder person right now. She ran over, said she could do this and was not going to be stopped. And, and I, like, I wake up every day wanting one of those moments, just oh, nonstop. It's the absolute joy of being a parent. I mean, that's the greatest, that's the greatest thing about it. It, you know, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, I think back to like junior high, high school, college, kind of that immediate point afterwards where it, it was one of these things where now obviously sports had a big part in my life, but it was one of these, what can I achieve? What can I do? What, what level, mm -hmm. where can I level up at? Moment you have kids, all of a sudden that focus shifts to them and it's, and I don't say in the sense of being that parent who wants to live vicariously through their kid's success, but at the same time, those million and one little successes, that, that's the joy of parenthood. Mm -hmm. It's seeing your kid accomplish these little things, be, kind of becoming a person and kind of growing into the world that they live in. That's that's the great part of being a parent is seeing that seeing that seeing like I said it's 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 a million and one little successes. Now it, I said I wanted to talk about this because this was another thing. As I follow you on social media, which um, by the way, hold on, I got I had to pop open another beer. There, that, I, that's I don't not a I don't problem. Podcast with that without a drink. It's Travis Justice. <laughs> He's he like scarred me for life. So anytime I podcast, I got to pop open. He is such. On. He's such a bad influence, isn't he? Well, he's from Iowa. Yeah. I mean, well, and here's I. I used to so. Quick sidetrack. I worked in Des Moines for a time. I worked at KXNO in Des Moines oh, that's for awesome. a time. I know how bad of an influence he is on people. 
he tries hard to corrupt the rest of them. They they, they kind of hold out. Yeah, so. they they're doing their best. Um, but it, it, when you talk about just the, the the successes that you can see in in wanting your kids to be successful, um, like your whole life has been just the evolution of Title IX, right? See, seeing seeing what what women are are able to do in the athletic sphere, and this summer the fiftieth anniversary of that. But it like, do your daughters understand that at all? And as they go through and they do things that ten, fifteen, twenty years ago were not as possible. Oh, hundred percent. You know, um, I've been. I, I like so. I have been blessed with some very probably a good way to phrase this worldly aware kids. I mean, they, they pay a ton. I mean, I think it's a lot easier now than when we were, well, I say we, I, you're young. I'm 99.9% sure you're younger <laughs> than me. I, I, um, by a hair, by a hair. So, I'm not going to tell, tell you how old I was when you were, uh, when you were winning a national championship. So, all right. So, well, I'll just say, so I, I'm, I'm a little over 50. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember when I was a kid, this was one of these things where girls played sports. And you kind of – it was just the way it was. It was interesting, though, because I remember my mom had – I remember had cleaned out some stuff from her parents' house. And one of the things she had was her letter jacket from Valley High in Des Moines. Um Major power over yep. there. Although the way my my the way my mom put it was that the the Valley High she went to was in a completely different location and it was a completely different set of circumstances than the current Valley High. But it's not like the the, su- the super funded West Des Moines Valley. It's it's the same high school. It just it's kind of the high school itself has sort of physically moved uh-huh. west over the decades. So, okay, yeah, I know where my, that is. But my mom was a Valley High, I believe, Tiger, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and played sports there. I, I think, I mean, I, I know she played basketball. Um, but it was interesting talking to her about how when she was a kid, having that opportunity to play basketball, to play sports in high school, was kind of a big deal. Because once you got out of Iowa, you didn't have that. Right. It was, it was the whole girls basketball in Iowa thing, the the three on three at each end. Of the <laughs> That's court. right. Yeah. Kind of set up that they used to have. Now I know they've gone to a, kind of a more traditional. Well, I say traditional, not traditional for them, but um, they've gone to a more standardized approach now. But I mean, where it used to be the three on three. Yeah. Um. So, and at the same time then, too, I remember talking with my grandmother. It was my dad. It was my dad's mom, and she played sports in high school. Now, this would have been probably, I'm, I'm kind of working backwards in my head here numbers-wise, probably late 20s, early, you know, probably early to mid-1930s. Okay. So... Kind of depression, very much depression era. Um, but she talked about like their biggest complaint was the fact that when they played sports, ran track, played basketball. Again, Iowa family. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you had to you had to have your legs and arms covered. That's right. 
And, and so the girls wore, she said it was kind of like those bloused out sort of pantaloon pants mm-hmm. with, with tights over the, ca- with, with stockings over the calves. Um, and then long sleeve shirts. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like, I mean, basically picture sort of a, sort of a Payne Stewart golfer's outfit, <laughs> except a long sleeve shirt, right? Bloused out pants and then stockings over the, over the, over the calves that they had to play basketball in and run track in. But she was very proud of the fact that they played sports when she was in high school in Iowa, mm-hmm. literally 90 years ago. And that's an amazing thing in my mind that they had that opportunity. And so there was kind of the, the, my daughters are aware that there is this kind of middle era in there where you kind of got into the post-war era after World War II. And all of a sudden those opportunities really kind of dried up until you got back into the 1970s when Title IX came about and you started to see those opportunities popping back up again. Um, but no, my, to go back to your question, I think my kids have always been very aware of that. So they know of that history to a fair degree. Um, my younger daughter who my young, who's my youngest kid, she'll be, like I said, she's the one just finished her freshman year in high school. She's the one who probably in terms of living it has probably lived that experience uh played tackle football wrestles so she kind of she wrestled against boys all through middle school Mm -hmm. and so she kind of saw that where there was sort of this high school level legislative push within the nsaa to get wrestling pushed through as a sanctioned sport and she had appreciation for the fact that she had a group of coaches. I mean, you had guys like, I mean, Les Painter and Ray Maxwell and Norm Manstead, some of these guys who are actually, I'm just absolutely legendary coaches in Nebraska wrestling yeah. history going back decades who were really, the, those were the guys who were really the movers and shakers in terms of getting this sanctioned. Um and she's been able to meet these guys and be coached by them and work with them. And it's, and it's something that she's really proud of that. She's been able to see this movement of where in middle school, she wrestled against boys because that was the only option mm-hmm. and going into high school, her freshman year in high school was the first year you had it sanctioned as an NSAA sport then there's a very acute realization on her part of the fact that she knows she's seen this happen in real time. Right. Now, when, so when she's born, obviously there's, <laughs> there are a lot of different emotions in the delivery room. And like when, when things are real and they're there and there, there's a flash of what is the future going to be crossed with being in that moment and, like having all of the emotions is is there any thought that man she might she's going to have these opportunities and she might take advantage of them and might be wrestling in high school and playing tackle football like like what 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 is a dad thinking in, in at that very early stage um when when life is brand new 
Well, I delivered her, so I, right, I yeah, right, right. You're you're a little bit busy, by the way. My my fiance. <laughs> all I was my all fiance. I, was uh, was, I just the OB's on her way, and she's not here yet. And it's the labor and delivery nurse. Thank God, there because the labor. I'll, I'll say this: the labor and delivery nurses. We were at Methodist Hospital, so it's kind of the whole Methodist Women's Hospital system. Women's wasn't open yet, but. Oh my God! Thank God the, those nurses were there because talk about freaking a group of warriors. That, that's that's some yeah. serious badass people right there. Um, but yeah, so the labor deliver labor and deliver. My wife's nurse and I delivered two out of our three kids. Wow. Um, but yeah, at the time I was just thinking, get her out. Let's clamp the cord. We'll cut the cord. Uh, my my wife's sitting there literally taking pictures while this <laughs> stuff is happening. Oh my god! With, with all the deliveries and so, um, I know we're we're talking dad stuff, but man, w- women are just incredible for that for that entire process. Oh my gosh! I it well, and it's almost you know I'm I'm throwing this out there as a point of pride for my wife. Like my wife never even had an epidural. I mean, she didn't do it, and, and it wasn't right. It, it wasn't one of these situations where she was adverse to having one or didn't want to have any drugs. It, it wasn't that. It was just our our first one. Her first labor and delivery was just mind blowingly short. I think first contraction to holding our daughter in her arms was maybe six hours. Oh, wow. I mean, it was like you blinked and it was over. And it, and the actual, ooh, I'm really seriously having contractions. This is for real. We're having the baby to delivery. Kind of that time span. That was like 90 minutes to two hours, <laughs> maybe. There are a lot of very jealous people out there. That there are, and we're we're highly aware of that. Anyway, so they never they the first one they never even got an IV in her by the time we got to the oh. hospital because I'm I'm like a dumb med student who's sitting there like just enough knowledge to be dangerous kind of situations where I'm sitting <laughs> there thinking, well, the average first per- labor and delivery lasts roughly twelve to fourteen hours, and we're only five hours in. Do we really need to go to the hospital now? I mean, we got like another eight or nine hours of this stuff. <laughs> 30 minutes later, my daughter's out. So thank God I listened to my wife enough to actually get us in the car and get get us to the actual hospital. <laughs> but after that, it was one of these situations where she was sitting there going, eh, you know, it's not often, but technically having the epidural can slow things down, maybe just a pinch, not a lot, but mm-hmm. a pinch. And... One, she didn't want to slow it down. And B, when the whole thing only lasts a few hours, it, it, it from a perspective standpoint, it's not that bad. Yeah. And so she's sitting there going, it's like, well, why would I get an epidural? This is going to be done here in a couple of hours, <laughs> so let's just knock it out and get it over with. What? So, but yeah, no, to, and, I mean, to, to kind of echo the point <laughs> you made, oh my gosh. That's, it's, I think about all the stupid jokes about like, God created the common cold. So, so, uh, or what, oh, what is it? No, I, I totally screwed that joke up. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Anyway, 
God gave the pain of labor and delivery to women so they would understand the pain that men go through when they're fighting the common cold. Yes. <laughs> and that is 100%. We are, I mean, when you get down to it in terms of our place in the world, mm-hmm. talk about a bunch of wusses. Oh, for sure. Very much so. There, There is, my fiance knows when, when I start to get sick, she goes, all right, I'll start taking care of this. I'm like, no, I'll be fine. And then I am just like passed out on the couch. <laughs> and they're like, I don't, even, I don't know if I'm actually like that sick, but I'm like, I'm not feeling great. And then she just takes care of everything. And it's, and then she won't be feeling great. And I'll be like, oh, I'll help with this. And she's like, no, nah, I got it. I'm like, what? Like, you, you know, let some of us do a little bit of this. She's like, nah, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think I've seen my wife ill one time ever. That she truly was like, okay, I'm just, I just need to go like curl up in bed and have nobody touch me for about three days. <laughs> for me, that's like once a year. For my wife, that's once in her life. Right, right. So, so take me back when back back as your kid. What are your earliest memories of of, of you and your dad? Tell me about that relationship. Oh boy, you know I, I you know I grew up one. I mean that was like the 1970s. Um, boy, we were, you know, I'll, I'll say this one. It was awesome. We, I grew up in this, I mean, you're kind of your very classic TV sitcom, middle of the middle-class family, um, in the Midwest. I mean, both, both my parents were in education. My mom was a school teacher. My, uh, my and that was back in the era, again, just dating stuff. That was back in the era when, when you became pregnant, you had to quit because you couldn't be seen pregnant. Right. Um, my dad was a university administrator. He was director of housing down in Lincoln for, geez, the better part of four decades. But uh, so both my parents were in education. So like I said, I mean, it was this very, what I can, now most people will say normals, whatever, normal is to an individual but i grew up in what i think most people would consider as a very normal upbringing and uh you know the thing i always loop back through back to with my dad now you ask the question early memories so my dad's sport was baseball and i think guys kind of they they lock things in with sports i mean in terms of memories and experience and I think that's kind of natural. I don't know what it is about testosterone that does that. That's <laughs> true. My my wife still is one of those. How do you? How did you forget about picking up such and such from the store for me? But you remember specifics about an athletic event, a game, mm-hmm. seventeen years ago in the third quarter of a football game or the second inning of a baseball game or things of that, things like that. It's, yeah. it, it drives my wife nuts, but for me, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of the way my brain works, but you know, the, the earliest memories, it, it's kind of a sports thing because it's baseball. My dad was a baseball guy and I'd be the first to tell you, I am not a baseball guy. So my dad was one of these kids who, when he was a kid, collected baseball cards. And he always bemoaned the fact that when he moved off to college, 
he had this massive collection of 1940s and 1950s era baseball cards. Oh, wow. Like Mickey Mantle rookie yep. cards, that kind of thing. Um, and his, his, his mom threw him away when he went off to college. I mean, that, I mean, that would have been, Oh, like 1961. And so, I mean, that's one of those things where in that era, it's like, <laughs> Yeah, your 1940s or 1950s era baseball cards were they, they weren't I mean they weren't even worth the cardboard they were printed on in 1961. Granted. No, and, and nobody knew. You couldn't look yeah. to to see that there there was going to be an industry for that. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, my dad was a baseball guy and I remember you know, he was the, he was that dad taught you how to catch, taught you how to throw, taught you how to hit. I remember going out into the yard and him like, Hey, we're going to practice hitting a baseball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel, I mean, he, he played, that was back when you played all sports in high school. I mean, he did, did football in the fall. You either wrestled or played basketball in the winter. You did track in the spring. You did baseball in the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, But baseball was his sport. He played a couple of years of, of baseball after high school too. So he was not a horrible baseball player, but that was a sport. Um, and so it just, that's, that was kind of one of those memories that always stuck with me was him teaching me just kind of some basic fundamentals, throwing a baseball. And I mean, even when my brothers and I were playing baseball as kids, um, I mean, this was Little Chiefs baseball back in the 1970s and early 80s in Lincoln growing up. Uh, just all, of, I mean, the the summer, those summer memories always kind of flash back to mm-hmm. baseball. And, you know, one of those, it, it kind of carried forward, I mean, from those early memories to, like I had, we got one son who played baseball. He played baseball through eighth grade. He was a very okay baseball player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now it's kind of, I mean, you, you, sports are darn near an industry. Now, I, <laughs> I don't say that in a bad sense. I don't say that in the sense of don't get your kids involved in sports because I, I think sports will always be a microcosm of life. Yeah. And, it, and it's, you know what? you can find a place to play somewhere. It doesn't have to be on the elite team. It doesn't have to be on the high school varsity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you look at high, even high school baseball now, my, my son's a pretty good athlete. He, I mean, you got a kid who three-year varsity player in football. He was a three-time state qualifier in wrestling, um, finished high school with eight varsity letters. Uh, he's got three st- – I'm sorry, he's got four state medals, uh, good athlete. He's going up to Augustana to play football, had a number of, uh, and it was all small schools, but he had a number of smaller colleges that were interested in him in wrestling as well. Mm-hmm. So he played baseball through eighth grade, though, and it was never, I, I call it his sport. But I remember when he he went out for baseball after the wrestling season when he was a freshman in high school. They kind of had sort of a 
like a week long or two week long sort of conditioning camp and skills camp that led up into the the high school season. It was sort of that, hey, we need to get in shape for two a days kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he goes to this goes to the baseball workouts. He he's got his bat bag, he's got his gloves, he's got his bats. Um, he's played baseball for I mean, from the time he was preschool on up through summer after eighth grade. And like I said, he wasn't great, but he was he was okay. But it was kind of an introduction into how good high school sports can be in this day and age. Mm-hmm. I remember he got about three or four days into these workouts with the, the high school baseball team. And he came home one afternoon and he was just like, um, I think I'm probably done with baseball. <laughs> and I remember asking him why. And he goes, you know, I just kind of get the feel they don't have much of a need for me. And it was one of those moments that, I mean, one, I, I was kind of okay with in the sense because I was like, buddy, I knew all along you weren't going to be a baseball player. (laughs) Two, it it was one of those things that was kind of bittersweet because it was always that connection to my dad. Yeah. My son playing baseball was always that connection. And it got stronger over the years as we got better because the league we played in which here in Omaha, it's WWAA, Westside Westgate Athletic Association. It's, I call it, it, it's a really good, solid middle of the road league. Mm -hmm. It's not the, it's not select baseball, but it's that step above like your city league stuff. It's a step above YMCA. It's fairly competitive. So, I mean, it's on the same level as most of the little league teams in the area. So we would play like Ralston Little League. We'd play Carter Lake Little League. Mm-hmm. We'd, uh, we'd play Grover Little League. And then you'd go hit, and this was the cool part, and this is kind of where I'm going with it. You'd go play all the surrounding small towns. So you'd go up and play Arlington. You'd play Blair. You'd <laughs> play Bennington. Um, uh, you'd head over to Iowa and play some of those uh, – Western, Southwestern, right. Iowa teams. I mean, you'd go play Denison, you'd go so on and so forth. So you, you, you kind of, you, you would do that. And the thing that always stuck out to me is going to those small towns, you know, the, the town my dad grew up in was Marshalltown, Iowa. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, we'd always go to those small towns, both in Nebraska and Iowa. When my son was seventh eighth grade and all of those small communities it was kind of exactly what my dad described when he was a kid (laughs) growing up and it was kind of how I always envisioned it for him and I sort of and it was sort of that there was this connection to my dad that existed because my son played baseball Mm mm-hmm and it was that connect, and it was it was just that common experience that watching my son go through that, and he played baseball because he liked it. He had no designs on the idea that oh hey, I'm going to go be this great baseball player, and it's going to be my avenue to get into college. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be my sport. 
he played it just because he loved the damn sport and yeah. liked to play. And he liked hanging out in the dugout with the guys and he liked eating peanuts and he liked, <laughs> and he liked sunflower seeds. And he, it was just the, the, the whole, it was that, that whole big picture that baseball yeah. represents. There's a little bit of competition. You're not getting exhausted doing it like you are in a wrestling meet or a football game. But at the same time, there's that competition. There's that skill. You're kind of testing yourself. Mm-hmm. All it, it's so many little parts. But I mean, the biggest thing was that we'd go play those baseball games in small towns uh, in Nebraska and Iowa, and it was like just it was just that that quintessential Americana, and, and it was just this incredibly strong connection back to my dad yeah that that i felt now i I don't want to get overly teary-eyed about it but the last summer that my so my dad passed away from lung cancer Mm -hmm. the last summer my son played baseball was the summer my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer and subsequently passed away and it was one of the best years my son ever had. And it happened to be his last year. And the team ended up winning their league championship. I mean, it was one of those, like, <laughs> anything that could have gone right went right. Yeah. All in the back. But it all took place with the background being my dad getting diagnosed with cancer and passing away. And at the same time, me going through all of these nostalgic emotional and intellectual connections to the experiences that my dad had playing baseball and all of a sudden if there was ever a living vicariously that i ever had through sports with my own son you would think it would have been football you would have thought it would have been wrestling the sports i played the sports i love the sports i'm a junkie for and it wasn't. I hated playing baseball as a kid. Couldn't stand it. It was boring. <laughs> you know, standing out in the outfield, I hated hitting. I was a huge guy, so you'd always kind of lean over the plate and take that pitch in the shoulder blade mm-hmm. to get that walk. I mean, it was just – I hated playing baseball. I hated baseball as a kid growing up. I loved it when my son played it. Yeah. And I loved – the vicarious connection I had with both my son and my dad, that base, that was what baseball did. Baseball was that vicarious connection. So if, if I lived vicariously through my son with a sport, it was baseball, but it wasn't because I viewed my son as a baseball player. It, It was just, it was, it was this connection to my own father at a time that was kind of trying for me because I knew my dad was fighting cancer and subsequently was going to pass away from it. There are a lot of sports. Obviously, you, you played a bunch of sports, and your, your kids have played a bunch of sports. I, uh, while I was in high school, I played uh, a few different sports as well. But it for, for whatever reason it is, um, and maybe it's just because of, of the way it's been passed down in this country – Baseball is like the sports of dads and sons. And and my grandfather played baseball. He played some semi-pro ball. My dad uh, played at Kansas, then finished up at Nebraska. Um, 
they then shredded his shoulder some more playing town team ball. Those are some of my earliest memories is just being at a ballpark because my dad's playing. And, like, it, it, it's so much fun. And then, then I played, and um, obviously Millie, my, my daughter, is um, she's too young to be playing any sports, but we've got a couple dogs, and she sees me throw the ball, and she wants to throw the ball. And I see that, and I just go, oh, that feels like a very family thing all of a sudden. Just throwing a ball, something so oh, simple. 100%. Oh, percent. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, you just you got to be careful because all of a sudden you're be sitting there going, "Okay, you need to tuck that elbow. <laughs> you need to bring that forearm over the top, keep it in line." <laughs> and here, let me show you how to hold that ball. I mean, you're gonna we're gonna work the two fingers and thumb method here. Yep. And we'll work on the knuckle ball later, but. It'll come, I promise you. Oh, man, do you, do you know the amount of pickoff moves I had because my dad played college ball? <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, that's you, awesome. You shouldn't have had those at 14, but you did. <laughs> I See, that was the thing I, I I think about. I think that was – I don't want to say – my dad was never disappointed. I mean, he had all three of the – he had three boys. All three boys played high school sports. Two of us went on to play college football. So, I mean, I think he was – he was a very proud dad when it came to the to to the kids playing sports, but I I always felt a little bad for him. He didn't feel bad. He was not upset about this. By the way, I, I got to emphasize this. My dad was never upset about this. My brothers and I were always we were always maybe just a little upset about the fact that none of us became like that next great baseball player. We didn't become the high school all-stater. We didn't become the college baseball player. Um, Especially considering how much time my dad... (laughs) Well, I I say how much time... I say disappointed with considering how much time he spent trying to teach us the sport. But it wasn't one of those things in, in hindsight, thinking about thinking back about it. He, he never taught us the sport because he wanted ultimately to live vicariously through us as baseball players. He just loved baseball and wanted us to enjoy it as well. Yeah. Now, you, you talked about the obviously having a conversation with, with your son after, well, the, the sport might be be done. I had a conversation similar to that with my own dad after my sophomore year of football. And it was, I don't think I want to play football anymore. Um, and like that, that's such a scary conversation to have one being in a small town in Nebraska. Um, and my dad had been a football coach up until I had gotten into, uh, into junior high and high school. And to like, I'm afraid that he's going to be so mad and disappointed and all he, all I can remember from the conversation is saying, "Okay, well, what do you want to do then?" And I was like, "Well, that that's so easy. Like, like, <laughs> like how, how how can my how can my dad be so understanding about this? This is you're at a small school. Everybody matters. Um, no, with, you're with, right. with every single sport, how can how can my dad have this much love in his heart to just go, oh, football, the biggest sport that we have, and just go, all right, well, what what do you want to do then?" What do you want to fill the time over those fall months with? Yeah, and is you see that was that was something I I, I remember that conversation because I had that conversation with my dad after my seventh grade summer summer after seventh grade 
when it was the last year I played baseball, might have been the best season I ever had. Might have been one of the best coaches I ever had. Don Hobbs. Don was uh, Don was actually the principal at the elementary school I went to in Lincoln, and he was one of the best baseball coaches I ever had. Um, but I just remember telling my dad, and I, and it was. But again, it was one of those things. I know exactly what you're saying that that fear of disappointment when you go to tell them that. And I remember telling my dad, it's like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm done with baseball. And, and I remember he was like, Hey, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I want you to be happy with whatever you're doing, but you got to do something. Yeah. And his, and his, and it was always one of those, as long as you've got something that you're doing and it's, you don't have to be an NFL football player. You don't have to be a major league baseball player. You don't have to be an Olympic figure skater, whatever. You got to go do something. And I think he, he just recognized. Um, he recognized the value. He recognized the value of sports, that, that, that value of involvement. And that was something that he wanted us to experience as well. And he, he saw what it did for himself. And I mean, the lessons you learn from that, the experiences mm-hmm. you have, the joys that you have doing that. And he wanted us to have that same experience. And now, I also know my dad knew crappy coaches. My dad had friends whose parents, I mean, this is like I said, we're talking 1950s here. Yeah whose parents were, it's not like this is new stuff. The, the overbearing parent who is no, 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 (laughs) you're going to do this because you're going to be the next great one. Parents have always lived vicariously through their kids. This is nothing new. And so I know my dad had seen stuff like that and he didn't want to be that parent. He wanted to be the parent who's, kids did a sport because they liked playing the sport and their kids saw the value of it. And their kids had that positive experience because my dad, my dad wanted us to pass that along. My dad wanted us to have kids and take those kids and they want, and they wanted our kids to have that experience where it's like, man, this is awesome. And when I'm 40, 50, 60 years old, and I think back to when I played sports in as a little kid in junior high, in high school, in college, if that's if that's an opportunity, that you think back and, you, and you're like, oh, my God, that was a blast. I had so much fun doing that. My dad wanted that to be the experience. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. There, there's a lot of times, it sounds like your dad was, was a lot in the same way my dad was, was in the in the way that in a lot of the way that that you are with your kids it's not i want you to do these sports because of what i think that can be for you in the future athletically so much as i want you to do these and have something to love that 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 is yours and maybe it was a little bit of mine but it's a thing that we can all enjoy uh, together it's more of a bonding thing than even what those what what could happen Especially right now, you think about anyone with with the way AAU basketball is. What that could be for a scholarship. <laughs> what that could be for making the league. But it's it's a this is our bonding now, and that, that, I, uh, that's one of the things that I, I love. I'm laughing because my it's not just basketball. We, yeah. Oh yeah. I just I picked one. <laughs> our I, youngest I, <laughs> our youngest daughter. Thank God my wife's down there with her. My youngest daughter's down in Orlando for. Uh, it's like AAU national duels wrestling. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's man, it's, you see that in all sports, but no, you, you make a great point. And I, that was, I, I mean, I'm convinced that was always the goal that my parents had. I mean, it's not just fathers, but I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's like, that was always the goal that they had was you wanted them to have that experience. And, and I want my own kids to have that experience too. And it was something that hopefully that God, I, I mean, I, I hope to God when they think back 20, 30 years from now, when they're, they're the age that I am now, they think back and go, Holy cow. Thank God I did that. So mm-hmm. it's my older, my oldest daughter was a swimmer. Um, was a swimmer all through high school and and she was a very solid swimmer. Wasn't, wasn't one of these like three, three times state medalist swimmers, but she was solid. She was a good athlete. She, one of those kids who honestly, if they really wanted to go do anything and dive into it, could have gone and done it. Um, but she swam all through high school. And when she was kind of heading off to college, I kind of wrote one of those like, hey, here's dad's tips. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? Like, here's dad's rules for life kind of things. And, and I remember somewhere in there I had written, go be an athlete. And my point, when she was coming out of high school, she had a lot of smaller schools looking at her for swimming. A lot of bigger schools talking to her about rowing. It's all, all of a sudden you realize, I mean, it's not a lot of high schools do rowing. Yeah. But a lot of colleges do. And all of a sudden they, they need people to do it. So they go after the swimmers and cross country runners. And yep. so um, I just remember telling her, go be an athlete. Go, I mean, go do something that's going to force you to work out. Go do something that's going to force you to stress yourself go do something that's going to be hard and it's, and it's going to make school harder for you because ultimately a, you're going to have a lot of fun doing it, 
and B, the lessons learned are going to be lifelong. And so she ended up deciding that she wanted to do rowing in college and kind of got down between a couple of different schools and ended up being Florida State, and Loyola Marymount in LA, which both great schools, both great locations. Um, ended up at Florida State. And I'm, it's one of those things where you think about the impact that sports has on your kids and that experience that you want them to have. Because I think back to the world I grew up in, and it was, I don't want to say a better place, but it seemed a hell of a lot simpler than the world <laughs> now. We didn't have cell phones and smartphones, yeah, and all of that. But at the same time, too, it was kind of this just historically kind of this somewhat staid era where there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. Um, but I thank God I had football. I mean, I think, I, I thank God for that because of the socialization that it provided the, the support structure that it provided was huge for a college student. And I wanted my, my kids to have that. So I remember telling my daughter that I just, dude, go be an athlete, go do something and then in hindsight, I think back over the last few years with things like COVID where, um, like every place else, Florida State shut down that, that, that spring semester of 2020. Yeah. But then they started back up in the 2020-2021 school year. You could add, They actually opened up campus. You could live on campus, go to school, even though school was 99% online. You could still live on campus. She was in a sorority. She was on the rowing team. And I thank God for those things because she was like, it's like, I'm going to, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a damn college athlete. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go live on campus because that's what college students do. And it's what college athletes do. Mm -hmm. And even though it's only maybe 10% of the student body is actually there on campus, I'm going to go live in the sorority house and I'm going to go to practice every day with the rowing team. And she did that. And it was a messed up year. It was a crap year for college students, high school, well, pretty much all of them across <laughs> the board. But I thank God she had that. And I thank God she had her teammates because I think that, again, I, I keep throwing out 10%. I think they did. They were only allowed to do maybe 10% of the competitions they normally would have done. Right. Um, so most of her freshman year, all of her sophomore year nearly got wiped out by COVID, but I thank God for sports. I thank God for that experience that she had because she had that group of people and that benefit of working with those people through sports. And it was those same experiences I had that you're looking back and like, God, I hope my kids, <laughs> it'd be so great if they experienced this too. And they have that support structure and it was a godsend for my oldest daughter in that COVID year on campus. One, that she had the sorority. She had that, and it was awesome. But then she also had the rowing team. Yeah. And they were practicing together every day. And they had, like I said, it, was a, it wasn't much, but they had a few competitions. And having that was just, it maintained this ever so slight 
small degree of normalcy for her that she wouldn't have otherwise had that small degree of social support and structure and that little bit of adversity that you need to grow and provided that in that year when so many people didn't have that it's God, I thank God for sports and the fact that my kids have gotten to have the experiences they've had with sports. Now, outside of sports, because we, we were talking about, and I feel like this is a thing that, that we all do, um, and from folks that I've talked to that that their, their fathers are no longer with them, they're still looking for, in the things that they do, what, what can they do that would get the approval of their father? Like, like a little bit thinking about that. I don't know if you're that same way. But if we go back to 1994, as your parents are both educators, you win what's considered the academic Heisman. You did all right in academics. You, I was okay. Yeah, you, you did all right. You, you went to schools a little, or you went to school a little bit longer than a lot of folks end up in the profession you are. Well, what is that pride with a couple of educator parents? You do damn well in edu- with, with your education to the point that you you you're winning awards for it. Like like with with, with your dad wanting to, he's obviously when we talk about being proud of the athletic side of things, the academic side went really well for you. Yeah, we did okay. Yeah, all three of my brothers and I, we all three graduated as valedictorians at our high school. Um, You know, the interesting thing there is that that was probably one of the things where I think one, my parents had this high expectation. They wanted us to do very well in academics. And in in terms of if there was ever pressure, good or bad, I mean, it's however you want to define pressure. Um, The pressure was always on the academic side. Yeah. I mean, that was where it was always at. And my parents are both teachers. In, yeah, in, in, oh, a, in a small school, like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you you can go, I, you can you go know, put up 22 is, in the basketball it, game, but you better have aced that science quiz. You know the thing that was interesting. I mean, there was kind of a dynamic, and it's sort of this. I think my brothers and I would have been an outstanding psychological study or term paper for somebody who wanted to write <laughs> one because. We were kind of the quintessential oldest child, middle child, younger child. Right. Like between my brothers and I, I think there was that, well, my older brother was about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half between him and I. Uh, My younger brother and I, that was a little big, a little bit more spread, about three and a half years there between my younger brother and I. Um but we were all three close enough in age that all three of us knew each other growing up. It wasn't like, you know, sometimes that, that older, older sibling graduates high school and goes off to college when the younger sibling's still in third grade and hasn't really had a chance (laughs) to get to know him yet. I mean, I, all my, both my brothers and I, we were all together at the same time. And so we all knew each other pretty well. One, there was a competition level there. I mean, it's, I don't think you can, I, I think within siblings, you see that pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was that expectation 
And I think for a while, truth be told, you know, it was kind of interesting because there was a point in time where I think we kind of feared letting our parents down. Now, I don't think my parents intended that. Right. Actually, I know 100% they did not intend that. But I know that kind of played off a little bit with my older brother because I remember he got a less than perfect midterm grade. And this is in elementary school. I think this was in sixth grade. <laughs> and so it's not like this is going on your record that you send your transcript that you send off right. to colleges, for God's sake, it's sixth grade. <laughs> but I remember he ended up getting a not whatever the equivalent of an A would be. And it was only midterm, so he still had time to fix it. <laughs> This, this shit isn't even... Sorry, I don't know if we can cuss on your... We, we do whatever we want. It's the first episode. Okay, Travis <laughs> and I drop all sorts of that. Yeah, I saw you guys had to add a disclaimer to the start of your podcast. We did. So <laughs> it's, we call it the Sorry Dave Disclaimer because Dave Remington, who for years... The, the Remington Trophy was our uh, title sponsor. Um when Dave's kids got a little older and started getting interested in everything from a sports to B podcasts, they would listen to the week. It was the, the doc talk sports presented by the Remington trophy podcast. And uh, Dave literally had to tell us like, Hey guys, <laughs> I listened to this with my kids because my kids like to listen to it. You can't be dropping the F bombs. <laughs> and so there was about two or three years there where we would, I mean, we cur curtailed all blue wordage as, as much <laughs> as we could. And, uh, and then finally we said F it after about three right, years. Right. Right. We kind of added in the, the the sorry Dave disclaimer anytime we drop an <laughs> f bomb. But, um, anyway, no, I just I remember my older brother when he came home from school and was with his midterm grades, and it was it wasn't this A equivalent grade. I think they used it was the C, S, and N scale. Oh, C was yep. commendable, S was satisfactory, N was this was even before not yet satisfactory. Oh. This was just screw you not satisfactory <laughs> i think i had not satisfactory okay this was yeah this not, was not that i got that i think that was an option yeah you didn't have a yet in there <laughs> they, they were just like not doing good enough there buddy um and i remember my older brother came home and i think he actually had an n it wasn't even an s it was an n uh -oh. and this was just for for my for him and my other two brothers, this was like ground shaking. Yeah. Like this hasn't ever happened. And we knew exactly what mom and dad's expectations were. They had set those out. Now it's not like they whipped us or beat us if we didn't get an A plus right. or something. But they had made it known, hey, here's what the expectation level is. And if if you weren't living up to it, hey, we're gonna help you study. Oh, guess what? We're going to proofread that term paper for <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, so you knew that yeah. expectation. Oh my, I mean, it's like my younger brother and I were scared to walk into the house when my brother brought this <laughs> midterm grade report home. 
And I remember my parents' reaction wasn't this one of they were upset or angry. They were worried about my older brother being upset. Mm. And it was one of these like, dude, you got to like talk yourself off the ledge here and understand we'll just help you study. We'll just, we'll help you get that grade up and you're going to be fine. And it was one of those, it was kind of a twofold thing for me. And I got to be honest here. It was one, oh, you don't have to be perfect as long as you're working hard and trying to do as well as you can. Mm -hmm. We had this realization that with my parents, the expectation wasn't perfection. The expectation was you just got to be trying hard. Yeah. You, you got to be putting forth a little effort. The other thing was, is that the other lesson I got out of it, looking back at the fear and concern my brothers had about letting my parents down was completely unfounded and that that needed to go away. Yeah. The concern then became, hey, these ideals that need to be lived up to, that needs to be my own ideal. It's not my parents' ideal. Mm-hmm. It's That needs to be my own. Now, I think as parents, you need your kids need to have ideals, and you need to teach them, hey, you need to set a standard for yourself. And whatever that standard is, I mean, I, I mean – have some standards to begin with, but yeah, it can't be one of those. Okay. Well, my standard <laughs> is I'm going to sit at home drinking beer and living off food stamps. I don't know what, I mean, right, whatever. Right, right. I mean, yeah. if, you, you got to have some standards. Um, but they, but you as the kid, the kid needs to set those standards. And that was something that I think ultimately was the lesson that came out of that was, I've wanted my kids to set some standards. I've wanted them to set some high standards. I don't care if they meet them. Mm -hmm. I don't care if they fail and fall flat on your face, but set a standard for yourself. Go work hard at something. Go work hard at, go work as hard. I mean, probably the two greatest lessons that came out of, my brothers and I and the academic standards my parents had set that they expected us to set for ourselves. The two greatest lessons I think were one, go set a really high standard, work as hard as you can to meet that standard and succeed. That's lesson one, because that there is, there are few satisfactions in this world as great as having this incredibly high standard, doing everything in your power to meet that standard and succeeding. Mm-hmm. That's one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. Two, the other thing that I would put up there is one of the greatest things ever is go out there, set this incredibly high standard for yourself. Work harder than you have ever worked to achieve that standard and just completely fall flat on your face and fail. Mm -hmm. That's like, 
the, that, that's the other greatest thing that you as a person can do in life. And if you haven't experienced that and you haven't lived yet, I mean, God, failure is just such an absolutely awesome teacher. It really, truly is. And, and it's even better when you've put your heart and soul into something and completely and utterly failed. Mm-hmm. If you haven't done that, man, you haven't lived. <laughs> and it's the, 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 the people I see who you see some of these people who live sort of these charmed lives where they're great at academics or they're great at sport. And they, they don't see that first failure until they're maybe in their late teens or twenties or even thirties. I mean, it, it's sort of the, I kind of, it's the, the, you know, I, I don't know what kind of world. Do you remember Ryan Leaf? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So you had Ryan Leaf and you had Peyton Manning, the two quarterbacks drafted after the, the 97 season. And honestly, Ryan Leaf was athletically by far and away the more gifted of the two. Ryan Leaf was one of those guys. I man, I could be wrong. I could be so completely ass backwards wrong. But if you asked me what I thought about Ryan Leaf's upbringing, I bet there's a guy that never failed. Mm-hmm. I bet he strikes me as actually kind of a as a, if you've if you've ever heard him speak, a relatively intelligent guy. I bet he did great in school. I bet he was an amazing athlete as a kid. Nothing ever. He never failed. I'm sure he worked hard, but I'm sure it wasn't. I, I'm sure there were not these massive mountains to overcome. Right. And, and I think that was why when he first hit the NFL, all of a sudden there's a mountain there. Mm-hmm. And he just fell flat on his face. And it was one of those, holy shit, I can't overcome this. Right. And, and it was that ability to kind of reach down in and kind of like, dude, I need to do some serious gut check time here and figure out what I'm going to do. What, am I going to walk away from this? Am I going to live with this? Or or am I going to, you know what, let's give this the old college try and we're going to work our ever-loving ass off and I'm going to figure out what I need to do to succeed. Um, that's what failure teaches. And I think the younger that that happens to you, where you have those experiences of like, wow, that didn't work out. (laughs) God, I got my ass kicked there. Yeah. God, those are awesome lessons. But I mean, those, those are the lessons that I think about when I think about some of those early. And when I say early uh, elementary school, junior high, maybe I think about some of that academic background that, that I had and kind of like the same thing like you had where you, both your parents are teachers. Both of my parents were in education. That was this incredibly, I mean, that that was the mountaintop for my parents ultimately. As much as my dad loved baseball, as much as my parents loved football, academics were that mountaintop. And kind of stumbling and failing once in a while, I mean, it taught you some great lessons in terms mm-hmm. of how to, how to overcome that. But that's probably the greatest lesson I'll ever take out of dealing with my own upbringing academically. What was either my own failings or my brother's occasional failings and like, Oh shit, we need to figure out how to, how to learn this stuff or 
get past this term paper, we we got to learn how to study for this test. Otherwise, we're going to look pretty bad here. <laughs> yeah, I, I I love that. All right, Rob, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Hit me. So so just whatever comes to mind first. So your favorite athlete growing up? Um. Oh my gosh. I, I hate to say this. There wasn't one. I was this kid. I was kind of a bookish kid, kind of academically minded. Uh-huh. Um, I had so many buddies whose friends were athletes. And while there were athletes that I, I definitely respected, um, I never really had that athletic hero. It was just something that was, oh, you know, maybe one. Okay. So here's a throwback. Maybe one of the, cause I'm thinking of like, okay, did I even have posters on my wall? <laughs> I had a picture of one guy on my bedroom wall when I was a kid that I was like, okay, this I dig. Do you remember Eric Hyden, the Olympic speed skater? Okay. So this would have been probably, this probably would have been Lake Placid. So that was what the 1980 Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. So Miracle on Ice. Right, right, right. Olympics. So Eric Hyden was, he was the man when it came to Olympic speed skating, late 70s, early 80s. Kind of the thing that I always remember about him at the time. Because, I mean, the sports networks would do profiles on people even then. It was always on his training and his work ethic. And I love that. I'm yeah. a grinder. I'm a, I'm a work ethic guy. And I love that. So, I mean, if I ever had one, I'd probably say Eric Hyden because it was that grind, that work ethic that I remember watching as like a nine, 10 year old kid in 1980 watching the Olympics that, oh my God, if I work hard enough, damn, you can get pretty good if you <laughs> hard work. All right. That was a long-winded answer. Nope, that that's good. We've killed the quick fire already. Um, no, uh, are you are you a guy who likes to go out to grill or got a smoker? Both. Okay. What, what's your, what's your favorite meat to take out there? Um, dude, I've been killing it with the chicken recently. I do a man. I do a pretty damn good uh, smoked ribs, and it's a total. It's a total Jimmy rig I do on my grill. <laughs> so it's it's not a true smoker. It's actually it's a gas grill and I can smoke 180 degrees for 9 hours on the thing. There's a lot of tin foil involved. I'll say that, but That that sounds awesome. Damn, damn dude, my my kids just slaughter the ribs. If your kids like them, you know they're pretty oh, good. Yeah, there you go. Uh riding or push lawnmower? Uh push. Actually, uh, I hate freaking lawn mowing. That was my brother's. <laughs> that was our summer job. There are very few things that I'm, I'm a cheapskate, which my dad was a cheapskate. I'm a cheapskate, but there's very few things I will pay for from a service standpoint. <laughs> and lawn mowing's one of them. So my guy, Nick, mows the lawn. Uh, and there are few things that if I've got the money to do it, if I have the disposable income to do it, after having mowed so many damn lawns as a kid, <laughs> I will always, for the remainder of my life, pay somebody to mow my lawn. So my coworker at my day job, 
uh, Jack Mitchell. He's an East High grad, and we give him crap for being affluent <laughs> East Lincoln. Your East High education is definitely showing with that with that answer. I just have to tell you that that, that that's where it is on on the the lawn maintenance answer. Oh, I love it! I God, I just dude the number we've got. My brothers and I, we made some good money as kids. That was the summer job yep. every year. We had our own little mini lawn mowing service. Made a lot of money doing it, but man, I, I hit a point where I was just like, you know what? I can, for 50 bucks, 40, 50 bucks, I can think of a lot of, dude, <laughs> there, there's just a lot of time and effort that that 40 to 50 bucks buys. Right. There, there were probably better ways to spend my time growing up than um, getting up way before sunrise to go to tassel just to come back into town on that bus and go mow a few lawns. Like it's just oh, like I'm just burnt out every day. After detasseling, come on. <laughs> the only thing I want to do after detasseling is sleep. Oh, hot shower, <laughs> sleep. That's um, brutal. What was the uh, if you do watch just because it's a death day? What's the last documentary you watched? Oh. Um, I'm a big military history buff and mm-hmm. I love the cold war. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a great one I'm watching called the fog of, I, I'm only maybe about half an hour into it, 40, 45 minutes into it. It's called the fog of war. Um, but it's on Robert McNamara and in, kind of the lessons he pulled out of Vietnam. It, it's interesting just because, I mean, he's, he's kind of a polarizing figure and Vietnam's or rather any war is polarizing, but Vietnam, especially so, especially for, I remember as a really little kid watching news clips of Vietnam when I was three, four years old, right uh-huh. towards the end there. Um, and so it's a, it's a hell of an interesting documentary, but it's called the fog of war deals with McNamara and his role as secretary of defense. I just recently watched the, uh, the documentary that ESPN did on the 19, what would have been 96, the, the national team for women's basketball team USA. And oh, how, the how, dream, their dream. Team. Yes. Their dream team, because they, they lost in '92, then they they lost the uh, they lost the world championships the next year. So they went and actually paid athletes to be part of a team for the whole year. They pulled Stanford's coach away from Stanford to coach the team for a whole year. I was like, could could you do that in 2022? I don't think so. Now, obviously, the national team's uh, different, but 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 could could you get could you get a coach? But to, I think to, you've got. See now, you, you hit a great point here because. I think there's a great lesson there where when you look at women's athletics and the importance of them within our society, where you have women's basketball, even you go back almost 30 years ago to 1996, the importance of it even nearly three decades ago that this country was like, all right, screw this shit. We're not losing again. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, what kind of effort can we put in to women's basketball to do this, that our women's basketball is going to represent the, the, the country on the world stage and we're not losing again. 
And, and I mean, I think you, you saw that happen. And then it, when it happened with that team and the women's team in 96, you saw it carry over into other sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, like women's volleyball, it's like, God forbid we lose to those a-holes down in Brazil. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah, no, that, that, that shit ain't happening. Right. I mean, it's all, it's like China. Nope. Get Jordan Larson out there. We're beating them. I mean, it's just, you, you see the emphasis from that documentary and it's, it's a great documentary. Um, but the thing that's inter- that was interesting to me about this was you realized on some level, when you think about how much women's athletes, women's athletics gets short shrifted in our world within our society. When you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, we, we still care. Yeah. I I mean, it's one of those, how much that's what struck me with that documentary was the effort they put into it almost three decades ago. And, and the, the impact that carried from there, because that was around the time then, um, the Team USA women win the, the Women's World Cup. Um, you launch the WNBA the next year, um, which is still going strong. And t- the United States women's basketball team has won gold every Olympics since. And, and you're not going to see that change. I mean, I, I suppose some other country might decide to put that level of resources into it. Um as far as we have to go as a society, whether it comes to just the societal issues or athletic issues, I appreciate that at least we've got some stepping stones in this country when it comes to women's athletics. And again, this is coming from a dad of two daughters that they've had some opportunities they wouldn't have had in other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope they, they build upon those opportunities and I hope somebody else looks at them and says, Hey, look what they did. A, we need to do more and B, we can do, we can do more. And that's what I hope comes out of that. Uh, last one I'm going to have for you here, Rob, and it's been just fantastic uh, talking to uh, another dad who's obviously at a different part in, in this adventure, but what what is your i guess if you had one piece of advice for dads whether it's something that you got from your dad another dad um a father figure like your time at nebraska with dr tom or you just learned over these last uh 20 plus years so what what would be the the, the one thing that someone's going to be a dad and you just say hey this is something you need to keep in mind Okay, so this was actually one of the nurses that I work with said this, and it it really, really struck a chord with me. Um, Because I think it's something that a lot of parents don't think about. Your kids are going to be who they are. They're not going to be who you want them to be. You can do everything in your power to mold your kids to be the person you want them to be, they're still going to be who they're going to be. Mm. And it's going to be, and it will hundred percent be different than what you envisioned, 
And it's probably going to be different than who you want them to be. And that's okay. That's a good thing. But I, I'm not who I, I'll tell you a hundred percent. I know I'm not who my parents wanted me to be. My brothers aren't who my parents wanted them to, them to be. I think as a child, if you ultimately set out to try and be the person that you think your parents want you to be one, you will fail yourself. And in doing so, you'll ultimately fail your parent. Mm. I mean, the, the best we can, as we as individuals can hope for within that family concept is to be the best version of our own self and not try to be who are the, the ideal that our parents maybe wanted us to be or who we think our parents wanted us to be. I hope my kids don't try to be who I wanted them to be. Now there's things I want my kids to do. I want my son to go play football up at Augustana, not because I was a football player in college or because I was a pretty good football player or people remember me as a football player. I want my son to go play football because there's some great life lessons. There's some socialization. There's this sink or swim hard work level. You got to put into it to succeed at any sport, whether it's football or wrestling or college rowing. It's. I want them to have those lessons that sports teach. I don't care if they're a great athlete. I don't care if they're uh, an all-star. I, I don't care if they ride pine every year. I just want them to go work hard because there's great lessons and values that come out of that hard work and being on a team and playing a sport and interacting with your opponents. That's which. That's where the joy comes from. That's where the lessons. And the knowledge comes from, that's where the experience comes from. It doesn't come from being the next Michael Jordan or the next Will Shields or the next Barry Sanders or whatever. It, it, it comes from those grassroots involvement, the grassroots experience you have while playing the sport. So I hope my kids don't try to be the next Rob Zadiska or they don't try to be great at whatever they're doing like I was or might have been or kind of was. I just want them to have the experience because that experience is awesome. So it's that was probably the best piece of advice I ever had is you're not going to – your kids aren't going to be who you want them to be no matter how hard you try. Yeah, They're going to be who they are, and the best we can hope for – is that they go out there and they're a great version of their own self. That's awesome. And that's Dr. Rob Zadiska. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at DocTalkSports. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Henry. If you've got suggestions for the show or dads you'd like to hear, you can also use the hashtag HeyDad. And, hey, Rob, this has been so much fun. Um, I really enjoyed uh, hearing your stories um, hearing those stories drum up memories in, in my own life and my own experiences. So um, keep being a great dad. I, I love following it on Twitter. And uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. Absolutely not. This was fun. So 
yeah, you want to do it again sometime. I'm full of knowledge. Some of it's worth, <laughs> some of it some some of it's worthwhile. Most of it's not. So yeah, we uh we'll we'll definitely set that up. And for uh for everyone else, we'll have another guest next week. So uh, remember, because we all love to hear it, whether it's your dad, your dad's dad, a dad figure, a mom that handled the dad stuff, or just a dad you appreciate. The best time to call is right now and just say, "Hey, dad." <laughs>